This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So welcome to this very special episode of the Curls on Form podcast. I'm Sam Howler, and this week I'm joined by Kate Taylor from the BFI, as it is the beginning of the London Film Festival this week. So, Kate, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, so to begin with, could you just tell us a bit about your role with the BFI and uh, what uh, part you take in running the festival? Sure. So I'm one of the festival programmers. Mm -hmm. There are three festival programmers who work on the festival year-round, alongside festival director Claire Stewart and deputy head of festivals Tricia Tuttle. And um, we kind of lead on uh, researching films in different areas. So I lead on East Asian films, the films in the festival from uh, China, Hong Kong, Japan, Korea, etc., And um, then we also support our, um, we have about 20 program advisors who are looking at different territories, either kind of geographically, so films from South America or Africa, or um, looking at the different strands we have and looking at the thrill selection, seeing that it has an interesting texture. So we support um, them as well. Okay, excellent. So um, could you then maybe talk a bit about the calendar leading up to the festival? So when do you kind of start selecting films? And is it that you actually select films or is it films that come to you and like submit to you? How does it work? Sure. Well, it starts in December Mm -hmm. uh, for the next year. That's when we'll start um, on our tracking, on our database, kind of looking at... um, announcements in the trade press about films that we're expecting to deliver into um, 2018 it'll be and uh, there we're really looking at what's going to be coming into Sundance, Berlin and Rotterdam and those are the start of our process for each year Um, so we'll have members of the team traveling to different festivals and our program advisors are also scouting in their um, areas um, and that kind of keeps going till um, till can time, and then from kind of June onwards, June is our deadline for submissions. 
um, June to uh, the end of July, early August, is when we're really in a very intensive viewing period, and that's when a lot of the final decisions get made. Um, in terms of what gets sent to us and what we uh, solicit, it's, it's a real mix because we try and do as much um, research. We build on the relationships we have with filmmakers and really investigate um, you know, production in terms of uh, laboratories. Lots of festivals now will have new funding schemes and places where you can kind of spot talent sometimes even a couple of years ahead. And so you want to kind of keep an eye on it and and track track all that talent so by the time we um finish selecting for the program uh when we closed the database this year we had over two thousand films that we'd been considering in one form or another wow. not all of them would have been finished or available or um actually would have been right for the festival but that's the kind of research that we need to be doing to be making sure that we um, you know, that we don't get any surprises of films that we might sure. have missed. Yeah. And can I ask how many years you've been doing this for the LFF? Sure. This is my uh, fourth festival. Okay. Which is coming up. Great. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Um, so it's kind of a broad question, I guess, but what is it about a film that kind of convinces you or makes you think, yes, this is right for LFF? Because you said there are some films that aren't right. So what's the kind of criteria, if there is one? Absolutely. Well, Maybe if I tell you about process and then mm -hmm. tell you about criteria. Yeah. So the process with a film is after someone, um, if one of our viewers has seen something that they, they think was, is going to work for the festival, it then gets second viewed. So, um, so for example, if um, Maria Delgado, who sees our Spanish and, and, and Latin American uh, selection, if she sees a great Argentinian film that she thinks is you know, a, a dead set comedy for a laugh, then it'll be viewed by Lee Singer, who's looking at the laugh strand. And then once both of their notes are in, if there's a, a champion for the film, even if it's just one out of the two, we'll then discuss it in the programme team. And uh, Claire, the festival director, will kind of interrogate us <laughs> on a, a whole bunch of factors so that every film that gets in has to be kind of strongly championed. Nothing should end up in the programme that yeah. programmers are just like, well... It's fine, yeah. It's fine, yeah, exactly. So um, so in terms of that, that spark, obviously when you're watching a film, you'll often have quite a, um, uh, a personal um, response, a, a sense of kind of electricity, or this is a discovery, or mm -hmm. I really want to kind of show this to people. Um, but what that process does is it really breaks it down to make sure that... Um, we're thinking about the audience and, um, you know, when they've paid their, their money and they're sat there, what, how, what is going to be the experience yeah. for them? And certainly when we're looking at the, the array of films in a strand, we're trying to make sure that there aren't, like, three deadpan Scandinavian comedies right. about a baby being stolen <laughs> or something. You have to really kind of vary it up, the different styles of filmmaking. We're also making sure that we're international, of course. So we have to, um, yeah, think about uh, geographical spread, to think about, um, you know, ethnicity and diversity on screen and behind the camera. We're obviously super interested in, in kind of strong female voices and encouraging more uh, female talent, both mm -hmm. on screen and behind the camera. Um, we're looking for exciting LGBT stories. We also run the BFI Flare Festival that happens in yep. March, so we're kind of constantly on the lookout for um, for work that's there. And then you want to have a real mix of 
emerging talent and established filmmakers. There are some filmmakers that we've really built up a um, audience for in London, yeah. and there's some that you that you just want to make sure that you're there at the beginning of their journey to kind of keep sure. uh, yeah to keep audiences aware of what's coming through. Excellent. Okay. Uh, so October fourth then mm-hmm. is the launch. Absolutely. Uh, opening yeah. night we have uh, Andy Circus's Breathe. Yeah. Uh, so. What does the opening film have to do for the festival and what statement should it make? Well, I think it, it, it varies a lot, opening films, for different festivals and, um, and the kind of the function of them. With Breathe, yeah. we were really charmed by a story that's uh, coming from a first-time director, mm-hmm. although obviously a director who many people know for, yeah. his, for his acting skills. Um, but it was a story that was made... Uh, with a lot of care and it's the story of the producer's parents Mm -hmm. so you know that there's a lot of kind of love that's gone into it but it's also it's a really um, inspirational story about uh, uh, true events and I think something um, that's certainly not essential for the opening night but what having a story to tell about a British first-time feature um, something that we think audiences will really um, uh, enjoy. That mm-hmm. we think it's an in- incredibly um, audience-friendly film, and also that has a range of kind of talking points within yeah. it. Um, over the pre- uh, past couple of years, we've had films that have been very uh, directly related to talking points. Um, with Breathe, we were just totally charmed by it okay. and felt it was a um, yeah a great. Strong British story yeah. to tell. I think that's true with last year's as well. United Kingdom and the year before was it Suffragette? The year Absolutely, before that, yeah, yeah, they're all three kind of British-made. Yeah, like you said, with these interesting talking points that mm-hmm. are very relevant at the moment. Um, and then the same question, I suppose, with the closing film. So this year it is three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Correct. Okay. Yes. Um, I mean, this is a film that just. Uh, just totally excited us yeah. when we saw it. It's a film with a lot of humour. It absolutely has a lot of um, political resonance. It's, um, I mean, Martin McDonough never pulls his punches. No, and yeah. in this film, uh, it's done with a huge amount of, you know, dark wit. Um, and I suppose you want to end the film with a festival that um, is going to have an impact mm. so that people are... Um, going out, whether they're going out to a party or they're going out um, and, and, you know, leave, leaving the festival with yeah. a bang. Okay. What was it last year? Can you remind Free me? Free fire. Oh, of course. Okay. Yeah. It, with a, a literal bang. Literally, yes. <laughs> Many bangs, yes. Okay. So between those two films then, um, there's obviously an infinite number of films playing. Um, could you talk about some of your personal highlights then? What are you most looking forward to, to playing in front of an audience in London? One highlight that I think is quite exciting is a film called uh, Custody by Xavier Legrand. And that's a French film that won um, a couple of awards in Venice. Uh, It's a debut feature. And it's a really uh, kind of edge of your seat experience in terms of, um, it's about a mother and father who are arguing about custody of their children. And very early on, we get a sense of that the father holds a certain amount of power over the the wife and children and it leads up to an incredible um very tense uh uh, climax and i think it's a really um 
striking debut. So um, it's a late announcement. So it, and that's showing at uh, Curzon Soho, and I think that's pretty special. Uh, Island is a film we're screening the world premiere of. It's by uh, Stephen Eastwood, mm -hmm. who's a London-based um, artist. And that is a film that he's been making over the past five years in the um, Isle of Wight. And it's, he's built up these relationships with people who are at the end of their life and has created this incredibly uh, kind of moving but not wallowing portrait of uh, of death, really. And that's a pretty exciting um, film that we're showing at Curzon Soho. And uh, yes, and he will be there for Q&As. And then we have Darling, which is a Danish film um, about a uh, ballerina. It's a drama for, um, for fans of Black mm -hmm. Swan, I guess. And... Um, it features some incredible choreography um, alongside a really provocative, emotionally intelligent story about um, a woman whose return home is not yeah. what she expected. Okay. From the East Asian selection, yeah. which is kind of uh, an area that I lead on, um, it's really exciting this year because we have a strong showing from Chinese film. And often it's quite difficult to find um, independent Chinese uh, cinema, it's, it's not always easy to make, and there's a few um, Chinese and, and films from Hong Kong that are super exciting. One is Wrath of Silence, and that is a, um, a second feature from Jin Yukun, uh, who made Coffin in the Mountains, and it's a thriller that's about a, a mute guy who travels back to his um, a village because his son has gone missing. And then he's a real brawler. Mm -hmm. He can't help but get himself into trouble with these kind of local mining goons. And then he meets their kind of meat-obsessed kingpin boss, uh, who's an awesome baddie who many people will recognize as the lead from Touch of Sin, the okay. Shawshank Kerr film. And, you know, maybe this boss has something to do with his son's disappearance. So it's a, it's a thriller, but it mixes a kind of art house composure um, it has kind of levels of violence and a certain kind of stylish mise-en-scene that's yep. you know, reminiscent of a lot of Korean films recently. Right. And, um, yeah. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's a totally emotionally, um, you know, a real gut punch yeah. for an ending. So for uh, for fans of The Handmaiden, 
perhaps. Not Absolutely. to group these films together, but you know, you kind of like sort of a genre film with a sort of art house inflection. Absolutely. I think, yeah, I think fans of Park Chan Wook, fans yeah. of Zha Zhang Ker, although they're entirely different sure. in style, I think, I mean, fans of Zha Zhang Ker as well, it's got a kind of political resonance to it yeah. that, um, and a kind of rage about a certain level of kind of corruption that's pretty exciting. And then in competition, there's a, a film called Angels Wear White, mm -hmm. which um, also played in Venice competition. It's by a female director, a second feature. We showed her first feature, uh, Trap Street, in our first feature competition a few years ago, uh, Vivian Chu. And she's made a, a drama about um, two, uh, a, a, a child and a young woman, and the film is the set in the aftermath of a sexual assault, and it's kind of about how they deal with that. But it's really very feminist in terms of it's a very compassionate film that deals with people after an event has happened and the way that life goes on, and um, it's very uh, um, nuanced and kind of emotionally sophisticated. But it also looks at the way that um, the sexualization of women and young girls, the impact that that has on them and their bodies, but at a structural level. So not just looking at um, you know a, a male gaze, mm. but looking at whole systems and how they. Um, yeah, how they impact on on young women. It's really exciting. Film. Yeah. Okay. And um, is that playing in a? Is it, so is that a strand or is that in a? Um, That's playing an official competition. Official competition. Okay. Mm -mm. Um, so how how big is the competition for the festival? Because I know that, like, it's maybe not as integral to the festival uh, festival as say the Palm Door is to Cannes. You know, of Cannes it feels like everything leads up to that award, whereas London it feels like it's more just a part of it rather than the main thing. Would you say? Well, it's very different. Yeah. So I would say um, we have four competitive okay. sections. So there's official uh, competition, uh, documentary competition, where they're competing for the Grierson Award, Sutherland, which right. is uh, for first feature. And then for the past three years, we've been running short film competition okay. as well. And I suppose it's a way alongside the galas, which are um, often films that are playing directly into the award season yeah. and are um, very high profile uh, films. It's a way of us elevating a lot of what we consider to be the boldest, most exciting filmmaking internationally and giving it a kind of higher platform. Yeah, okay. Um, so it's, it's also a very strong way to encourage audiences to... Um, yeah, to take risks. It's, right. a, it's a mix of established sure. and some first-time features this year okay. as well. Uh, you mentioned um, awards season there, mm -hmm. um, and London is perhaps the last big festival before awards season really kicks into gear, sort of at the end of the year. Um, how big of a role does awards season have in um, sort of shaping the festival? Well, I suppose it's it's kind of the other way around okay. in a sense because obviously when you see certain films you'll come out of it and you'll think like for example when we saw La La Land last yeah. year we walked out and we said oh that's going to win all the awards right. and sometimes you'll have a sense of that straight away sometimes there'll be films like uh, Moonlight which mm -hmm. we had the international premiere of when we saw that it, it hadn't really been seen yeah. it certainly hadn't been shown anywhere right. and whilst we felt very strongly about it and we put it in our official competition um you didn't know for sure. No. So um, w there are a lot of films that we want to um, try and encourage on that journey. So, I mean, we've always 
The festival has always been a time of year where we can select a lot of the best films from the beginning of the year. So we're showing things that have won um, awards in, in Berlin and in and, and Cannes, etc. But um, we're increasingly becoming a place to launch films. So this year, more than ever, we have more kind of European premieres <laughs> and more world premieres. And obviously that means that you don't have... Uh, you don't know how they're going to land with audiences always in advance. So you're really hopeful to kind of push them in that way. So we work a little bit with Ampass. Right. And London actually has the largest number of Ampass voters outside right. of um, Los Angeles and New York. And obviously we also work with, work with BAFTA. And so we try and um, make sure that when talent is in town and when those screenings are happening, that those films can start to get on the radar of, uh, of voters. And especially we have a really good hit rate with the foreign language Oscar as well. Right, okay. So, Excellent. Yeah. Um, so something that London, this categorization system, mm-hmm. um, not quite a system, but so like love, debate, laugh, death, thrill, journey. Uh, could you talk about the reasoning behind having those different categorizations? Because it's not, it's not quite genre-based, is it, or no. anything like that? No, it's interesting. Basically, um, I, think it's, I think it's pretty innovative. Yeah. And it's something that, um, that, that is quite unique. The, um, Claire Stewart, when she was festival director of a Sydney Film Festival before right. coming to London, did a lot of research on uh, audiences and why someone would come and see a film. And the top answers were, what's it about? And what kind of film is it? What kind of experience will right. I get? The genre and, and so forth. And then kind of a lot further down were, who was the director and what will the critics say? And as a programmer, those tend to often be the things that are at the top of your mind. Yeah. You're in a certain mindset of looking at... Um, I know, or tourism, or looking, or being very familiar with national cinemas, but when someone receives the um, festival catalogue and there's 242 films in there, mm-hmm. if they already know all of that stuff, then they're already going to be confident in making their selection. Yeah. But what we really want to do is to encourage new people to the festival and to encourage first timers and for people to take risks. So the idea with the um, the kind of the pathways, the thematic. Um, uh, strands is to give people a sense of what kind of pleasure they're going to get from the film before they get there. So the idea being, okay, it's a Friday night, I fancy a thrill, maybe I'll go and see the Sri Lankan film with a director or talent that I don't know about just because I know that that's something I'm going to get from it. And it's been really successful in terms of, you know, last year we had audience growth of 18% in the previous um years we'd already gone up by like 24 percent so it's i think it's and we're seeing a lot of that growth in terms of new people coming to the festival and people trying things out for the first time okay um so let's talk a bit about london's place in the kind of broader scope of the festival circuit Mm -hmm. um so where do you think it sort of stands compared to things like Cannes and venice and toronto like what's london's you know, its unique selling point, its uh, its identity, per se? Well, I think London, the city, is our okay. u- unique selling point uh, in terms of it's very much a public festival. Yes. Whilst we have a, you know, healthy um, film industry here and certainly, a, a, you know, large press contingent as well, it's, it's very much in our thinking all the time about reflecting um, the diversity of London and trying to find something so that anyone who wants to come is going to find a film that's going to excite them. Um, so, 
yeah, I suppose that's that's our um, and we have you know incredibly engaged audiences. We have quite lively Q and As, um, quite informed, uh, quite informed audience, and I guess it relates to a wider film culture kind of year round as to what the um, the BFI and what other um, distributors and cinemas are doing. I think it's quite an exciting time to be in London yeah. right now. Okay, excellent. Uh, I've been going. I've been going there for the past, I think, five years mm -hmm. to the LFF. Um, and even when you know, even though I have a sort of this press pass, I still go to the public screenings because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think that London Film Festival really, it's really there for the public in a way. Mm. Um, can you talk about that? This sort of aspect of the festival that is for the people, <laughs> to, to put it in a strange well, I, term. I think I think I think you put it quite well. Um, Absolutely. I mean, we try as, as much as we can to um, bring in filmmakers yeah. and so to get them to engage with uh, London audiences. Uh, last year we had over 700 filmmakers, um, uh, you know, who were attached in various roles to, to the films. And the feedback that we get from them is fantastic in terms of the level of engagement from the questions, but also the feedback that they get um, after the screenings, as well as you know the technical presentation and the just amazing venues that we use. So um, yeah, so it's absolutely a festival that that celebrates how good London filmgoers are. Yeah, I mean, and I know friends that like aren't that into film, but they still go because there's just this sort of excitement about you know, these are films that aren't out yet, you know. And I think it does draw in massive crowds, as you say. Well, absolutely. Also, I mean, I'm not sure what the stats are this year, but generally it's about 60% of the films that we programme won't have distributors when we right. start the festival. So for a lot of the films, it's your only chance to see them. Yeah. Um, as well as, you know, lots of films that we're kind of previewing to people so you get that sense of buzz first. But there's also something very... Um, unique about the atmosphere. One of the films I'm very excited about this year is A Fantastic Woman, yes. which is going to be um, uh, the Flair Gala. And um, it's a Sebastian Lelio film. It's an incredible depiction of a trans woman who's just trying to get a bit of respect. And um, I was thinking about it this morning and, and how excited I would be to be in that audience mm. and to feel that atmosphere. And Daniela Vega, the star of the film, is going to be there. And I just feel it's one that's going to yeah. lift off the roof and be a real experience. And that's the type of thing that a festival can engender sometimes, sure, which yeah. is exciting. Uh, and finally then, um, what would you like to tell us about the festival that we haven't already said so far? One thing is that there's almost always tickets. Mm -hmm. So a lot of things which seem... Uh, seem unlikely to have tickets available. Often, if you turn up, then there are returns. And, um, you, you know, there's something about queuing as well for um, uh, returns and for rush tickets, which can be quite an exciting part of yeah. the um, festival process. And obviously, us British are like... We love a queue. We love a yeah. queue. Um, but talking to someone next to you, and I would say that as well... Um, festivals are a time when you can talk to the person next to you because it's <laughs> likely that if they're there yeah. they care about film and you care about film and that experience of, of meeting people um, who kind of share your passion and having a space to discuss things I think is absolutely you know festivals should be like little mini utopias mm -hmm. for people who care about film um, and yeah having that ability to have that conversation is is what it's all about. So I suppose that's another thing, is is finding um, 
uh, yeah, finding spaces and ways to encourage people to talk, whether, not just in the Q&A in public, yeah. but hopefully in the bar afterwards as well. Excellent, great. So the festival dates are the 4th of October to the 15th of October? Absolutely, great. yes. Yeah. I remember two years ago, I turned up on the day to see the, the gala premiere of High Rise. Oh, yeah. And it was, I thought it was sold out, but I walked past the, you know, they have those like the sort of set up festival booth things. Absolutely, yeah. On a whim, got five tickets in the back row. So Fantastic. You can, there are always tickets available, as you say. Absolutely. Yeah, and uh, it's also quite thrilling to walk down a red carpet, even though you have nothing to do with the film. <laughs> yeah, I think red carpets, uh, yeah, they have their place and yeah. it'll be a lot of fun. <laughs> Excellent. So, uh, Kate Taylor, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Big money and transform your home with new appliances now at Menards. We offer the lowest prices and the largest in-stock appliance selection, ready to take home today. Check out top appliance brands, including KitchenAid, Maytag, Whirlpool, Amana, and Criterion. Upgrade your home and save big money on new appliances at Menards. Shop our entire selection of appliance options online today at Menards.com. Save big money at Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.